So I walked in on a Tuesday and I sat at our community table with Felicity and with Help Me Katie and chatted for over an hour talking about my background and Felicity's background and the whole idea of Little Kitchen. And as the conversation went going, all I thought was, I want to be part of this. I need to be part of this. This is amazing. This is where I see myself happy. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. When you talk to children who've had the privilege to attend classes at Little Kitchen Academy, you hear specific words and phrases repeated. Fun is usually number one on the list, and it's often followed by, the instructors were so nice. Of course, all of the parents ask their children about the food they prepared, and the response from students is almost always universal. It was so good, they exclaim, which is due in large part to the fact they made it themselves. But as parents start to inquire further about the dish, or dig into the leftovers the children bring home, they're usually pleasantly surprised at the diversity of ingredients used. Now, those recipes don't just appear out of thin air. They are carefully thought out, tested, and refined before they ever become a part of the curriculum at Little Kitchen Academy. Natalia Ordonez oversees that process, and she is every bit as interesting, impressive, and ambitious as the recipes themselves. Her infectious spirit brightens whatever room she's in, and the entire LKA family benefits from her passion for both food and people. Natalia was gracious enough to meet me in the kitchen, so now it's time for you to meet La Reina de Recetas of Little Kitchen Academy. I've never started a podcast this way, but I'm going to today. What did you have for breakfast today? Oh, well, I had leftover popovers, which I tested yesterday as a recipe that the students will be making in fall. So yeah, that was my breakfast. Leftover food from from the kitchen here at the office. The reason I ask is because you're the recipe queen. So I imagine (laughs) that you never eat two things in a row or you're not eating breakfast the same every day. I think the rest of us fall into these ruts, Natalia. Do you fall into those ruts or do you find yourself creating things all the time? I definitely do. So when I'm here at the office, the nest, I am creating fun things and everyone on the team can say that they love coming into work at the office because there's always food to try. But when I'm home, I will stick to the same things I like to eat. So (laughs) I do fall into those. I can attest to that because I've only been into the office once and yes, you were using me as one of the guinea pigs. Is that one of the benefits of working in the office or do you use your friends and other people around you to sample some of the things you come up with as well? I'd say a bit of both. Usually there's no leftovers to take home or to take to friends, but every time I tell my friends, oh, I'm testing this or this was tested at the office, they're always like, please save some or let me know so I can walk by the office to try some. They're always very excited to hear that I'm testing the different things I'm testing and they always tell me that they can't believe that three to five-year-olds are making these crazy recipes that they would never even try at home because they know they'd fail. I'm glad that you brought that up that you have to take into account the age of the people who will be creating these recipes. And I'm wondering what other type of considerations go into creating these delicious recipes that you concoct for the students who attend Little Kitchen Academy. So 
a three to five-year-old can make anything you ask them and show them how to do. My favorite thing to say is our three-year-olds make risotto from scratch, which is hard to believe. I think that as long as we give the students the right tools and the right direction and give them that independence and show them how to properly and safely use the tools in the kitchen, they can make anything. So we do have to think about the ages when, when I'm writing up these recipes and looking through Instagram and Pinterest and seeing all these amazing things that people are doing. But I think that it's to our instructors and the way the curriculum has been planned that these students can essentially make absolutely anything in the kitchen. It's hard but I know that they work through it and they're, they're able to get it done. Well, and children often have this energetic approach and this open mindset that perhaps adults don't have. So you're right. If you ask them to make something, they embrace it wholeheartedly. Is that what you found when you're instructing as well? Yes. And most of the time, students have no idea what they're making or how it's supposed to look like or what it's supposed to taste. So they're happy with the results that they make, regardless if it looks or tastes like it's supposed to. And that's something that our instructors are so good at doing is just celebrating whatever the students made, even if it doesn't look like it's supposed to, because the students had a great time while they were in our environment for the three hours, tasting the different oils and tasting the different vinegars and deciding that they were going to use the fresh basil from the Arrow Garden and instead of the one that's dry in our pantry. So yes. <laughs> I wanted to ask about the inspiration. You mentioned that you'd be looking through Pinterest or maybe you'd be looking through some blogs. Where do you draw your inspiration, not only for the ultimate recipe you come up with, but even some of the ingredients that you're using in these, Natalia? Felicity loves sending me recipes. My mom sends me a ton of them as well. And most of my time, I think that if you scroll through my Instagram, I only follow friends and family and Instagram bloggers that come up with recipes or food bloggers. So most of my inspiration comes from what I see online and just being able to sit down and think through a recipe and make sure that our students at Little Kitchen can make it. So making sure that there's a variety of these seasonal ingredients and that there's no meat or poultry in the recipe. The instructors at Point Grey love sending me ideas. Alini, our director at Point Grey, every time she goes to a restaurant and tries something, she'll send me a picture and she'll ask me to write it up as a LK recipe. So I scroll through Instagram and TikTok and Pinterest a lot, but I think that most of the recipe ideas come from the team members and friends and family that I'm surrounded with, which is great because when I'm able to show them the Instagram stories of the students making that recipe they tried at a restaurant few months ago, it makes them so proud and it makes me so proud to see them as happy and seeing the students so happy to make these amazing dishes. Everyone that I've asked about you has said the same thing, that you're enthusiastic to receive these recipes any time of day, that it puts a smile on your face and you yourself embrace it wholeheartedly. Natalia, where does your passion for food and recipe creation come from? So my passion for food and being in the kitchen comes from my family. My mom has probably cooked every breakfast, lunch, and dinner I've ever had at home. And as a family, we always sit down around the dining table, the five of us, to enjoy every meal my mom has made. I grew up in Asia, so I had the opportunity to try different foods from different cultures. And being able to try these different ingredients really opened up my love for eating them all. Ask anyone, and I am a true foodie. I will be eating 24-7, and I'll always have some form of snack in my purse. I think that having my mom in the kitchen and having her involve us is what made me love 
cooking. I'll always remember my mom's soups. So when we were younger, she would use either vegetables or food dye to make different soups for me and my siblings to eat. So she would dye a soup pink and call it the Barbie soup. Or she would dye it red and call it the Spider-Man soup for my brother. Or when I was young, I used to love watching Barney. So she would dye the soup purple and it would be the Barney soup. To this day, I love soup. I don't put food dye into it anymore. But I think that having that stem from my childhood and my mom incorporating us in the process of creating and eating the food. I'd also say my dad was always the adventurous one. He was the one that pushed me to try different ingredients, especially when living in Asia. Probably around kindergarten, I came home one day from school and I told my dad that my best friend had eaten black paper for snack. He was so confused. He was like, what do you mean black paper? And I was like, yeah, she opened up her lunchbox and she had black paper and she was eating that for snack. My dad then came to realize it was seaweed. Growing up in Colombia, you can find sushi nowadays, but when I was young, sushi I don't think existed back then. So he decided to take me out for dinner that night. We were living in Singapore at the moment and we went for sushi. So he ordered a few different things and of course on my plate was a sushi roll with black paper around it. I tried it and I loved it and to this day sushi is probably one of my favorite foods. That's a great story and there are a couple of different roads I want to go down based on that. You mentioned living in Singapore you're Colombian and you've lived in Colombia as well. What other countries have you lived in and how did those different tastes and different cultures influence the way that you look at food, look at nutrition and look at recipe creation now? So I was born in Colombia and then moved at the age of two. I lived in Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai. Then I moved back home to Colombia and I moved up here to Vancouver almost seven years ago already. So I think that being able to taste the different foods when I was in Asia and traveling so much around Asia, it sparked my love for the different types of ingredients and different flavors in all the cultural foods. Asian cuisine is probably one of my favorites. And I'd say that it's because I grew up eating them so much. But I do remember my mom would always make the Colombian typical dishes while we were living back home. Arepas were a staple. People will argue that they are Venezuelan. They're both Venezuelan and Colombian. They're just made in different ways. I remember my dad's boss would love the arepas. And every Sunday, my mom would make arepas. She'd pack them up in aluminum foil. And I would bike over to my dad's boss house to leave the arepas for him and his wife for the week. And then probably moving back to Colombia is when I really got to try and really enjoy all the traditional foods from back home. My grandmother was always in the kitchen. I think that it's because of her that I started to love baking. Her desserts were amazing. To this day, they are a family secret recipe. My mom and I will have them and everyone will ask for the recipes and everyone knows that I'll share any savory recipe. I will never share a sweet recipe because they were my grandma's and it just it's part of the family. So after spending time with my grandma in the kitchen, after moving back to Colombia and being able to actually go in and explore all the different Colombian dishes, I realized how different the cultural foods were comparing to those that I grew up eating in Asia. And that's where I just realized that I loved food. I came to university deciding that I wanted to do business. I had no idea I was going to come into this nutrition world. And after a year of university, I realized that 
business was not the way I wanted to go. I had taken 10 different courses in every subject you want. And after first year, I called my parents and I was like, I don't like what I'm doing. I'm dropping out of college. And they're like, wait a second. There has to be something that you like to do. Explore what other courses there are. I studied at UBC and UBC is a very large university. So I went through every possible major and it was an afternoon of just like checking off like, nope, nope, nope. And then I came across one called Food, Nutrition and Health. I looked into the details. It was a very broad bachelor's degree. It involved food. It involved nutrition, which I've always loved. I've always loved understanding what food does to your body, how your body functions. If medicine weren't such a long career and so detailed, I would have studied medicine, but I'm glad I didn't go down that path. And then I decided that that was the way I was going to go. So I finished my degree in food, nutrition, and health. And during my time there, I took different courses about sociology and food, food science, the cultural background of food. And that's where I think that everything just came together to understand that I wanted to work along the roots of nutrition and food and, and children. I'm going to put a pause on your university career and your career in general just for a second because I want to backtrack to the cultural influences that you just described. And I'm wondering here in present day if you feel a passion or if you feel strongly about infusing various ingredients that perhaps children wouldn't get in their homes into some of the recipes that are in Little Kitchen Academy so that they are exposed to more. Yes. So at Little Kitchen Academy, we strive to use seasonal and local ingredients. We want the students to be able to look at the fridge and know what's growing in that moment because of the colors of the produce that are in the fridge. But being able to give them the opportunity to explore ingredients that might not grow in Canada or that they might have never even tasted because if mom and dad don't like sushi, they won't have the chance to try black paper. So I do love infusing ingredients and these cultural dishes that aren't popular in Vancouver, just to give the opportunity for our students to actually go and taste them and understand that there's more than what you eat at home. And I think it's also a great opportunity for our students to understand that they might like something that they saw at a supermarket, and then they'll learn how to be able to make those things at home. So we do have a ton of Asian recipes, a ton of Mexican recipes, a few Spanish ones. The teens at Little Kitchen Academy at Point Grey today uh, this week, actually, are going to be making tortilla española, the Spanish tortilla with potato and eggs, which is delicious. And it's something that if you don't go to a Spanish restaurant, you probably would have never tried. But it's so simple to make. And it's a great opportunity for the teens to understand that foods in different countries and in different cultures are made with the same ingredients as they are made here in Canada. But they just are spiced up differently and cooked differently to become into different dishes. I know in talking to Felicity and hearing anecdotes from other instructors that there's a real satisfaction they get when a child gets dropped off, the parent sees the recipe that's on the board and says, my child's not going to like that. He or she does not eat that. So just be prepared. And the instructors say, okay, well, we're preparing that anyway. And what do you know, three hours later, the child comes out having eaten a food he or she previously didn't enjoy. How much satisfaction do you get out of that, Natalia? 
oh, so much satisfaction going in to the environment at Point Grey and just seeing our students try kale for the first time when their parents probably said, oh, my child doesn't like kale. It's amazing to see that when students are out of their homes and away from their parents, they will take these risks to try these new ingredients, to use these tools that they probably aren't allowed to use at home because they're given the independence to do so. I can tell a story about one time I was volunteering during my university at a school. We were going into a first grade classroom to teach them about gardening and cooking and nutrition and just exposing students to, to food in general. Around the first days, I asked these students what they had packed for lunch that day. This little girl came up and opened up her lunchbox and she had a Nutella sandwich with a box of what looked like artificial juice. A few days after, after going in and doing different activities with the students, I asked them what they brought in for lunch that day. It was probably a week after. And this little girl came up so excited to show me her lunchbox. She opened up her lunchbox. She still had the Nutella sandwich on white bread, the box of artificial juice, but she had a different container that was full of broccoli. So I asked her, oh, you've got broccoli this time. And she proceeded to tell me that she had never had broccoli before, that after tying broccoli with us during one of the activities we had planned, she went home to ask mom to please buy broccoli because she loved how it tasted. And her mom told her, we don't eat broccoli, so no. But the little girl pushed mom to buy broccoli because she enjoyed broccoli. And it was now part of her staple lunch at school. And I feel that the same thing happens at Little Kitchen. Students come into our environment, try new ingredients or see new things, and they have that independence to make these choices and influence what choices are made at home. You seem to have a real appreciation for just how many different food recipes and ingredients you were exposed to growing up, but you also have a realization based on that story you just told that there are a lot of people out there who do not have that experience. And it seems to me that you and the rest of the team at Little Kitchen Academy take great pride in the fact that not only are you having fun teaching cooking skills and preparing a dish that children love over the course of the three hours, but you are also contributing to food literacy. How passionate are you about that? Extremely passionate. After my time at university, I realized that we have to influence the younger generation because they're the ones that are going to be able to make the choices for themselves in the future, but they're also able to impact those choices that their family members of older generations might be making at the moment. So just like our instructors and our directors and anyone in the corporate team, we love being able to see our students make these decisions. And it's so important having a student coming to Little Kitchen Academy and realize that they can make these choices and walking into the pantry and seeing a ton of spices that they probably never have tried or seen before and giving them that opportunity to explore things and ingredients that they probably wouldn't have explored at home, which I'm sure many of us haven't tried many ingredients and many dishes and that is okay. But being able to give these young students that opportunity at such a young age is so important for them to be able to make those healthy and conscious choices as they grow up. Well, and certainly if we look at it in a vacuum, absolutely that applies to the individual. But if we zoom out, and I don't want to get too macro on all of this, but from a holistic point of view and the way that sustainability is taught at Little Kitchen Academy, and even from a nutrition point of view and fueling your body in a proper way that perhaps people have taken shortcuts. 
We can cut out medication. There are ways to be healthier that the earth has provided for us. And that to me seems baked into each and every recipe that you and the rest of the team come up with. Exactly. Anyone that knows me knows that the first thing when someone tells me that they're sick, I always turn to them and ask them, what are you eating and what are you putting in your body? Because what we put in our body is our fuel and without proper fuel, our body will not function. Understanding what real food is and in a society where packaged food is so common and eating out and Having those food delivered to your door from restaurants is so easy nowadays, and you really don't know what are in in those meals you're having. You don't know what extra ingredients were put in there, how much sugar, how much salt. It's delicious, but having packaged foods and foods from restaurants every day will slowly have an impact on your body and how you feel in the future. So understanding and knowing what you're putting in your body and what ingredients or what real food actually is, is extremely important. I want to go back now because this seems like a good point to jump back into where you were at university and you discovered something that, all right, maybe I want to go down this road. And certainly it has led you all the way here, which we will talk about how you became a part of Little Kitchen Academy. But as you got into the food and nutritional sciences department at UBC, you didn't just go in, Natalia. You grabbed the bull by the horns and you're starting new chapters of things. How did that evolve during the course of your university experience to the point where you were now leading other students? So I think that it was during my first year classes when I started taking these nutrition courses and food science courses that I would leave class and meet up with friends and I'd be so excited to just talk about whatever the teacher had told us for the last hour and a half. My friends always say I would always come up to them with a food fact or something new that I had learned and I was so proud to tell them and they would tell me like this makes you so passionate you seem so happy with what you're learning and it just evolved from there on. During my five years at university every other year I would be happier to go into classes and as I started choosing the courses I would ask actually take. I would be up at 8 a.m. at class and I would study until 11 p.m. because I liked studying for the classes that I was taking. Yeah, as my university courses progressed, I realized that I was just, I loved what I was doing and I realized that it's such a simple idea. It's food. It's something that everyone does. Everyone has to eat to be able to live, but people don't understand the importance of it. They think it's like, oh, yep, breakfast, lunch, dinner, that's it. But there's so much more behind the food, behind the preparation, behind the understanding why you're craving something salty, why you are craving a watermelon, why your body actually gets thirsty. And just knowing all this and understanding that I've got such a huge impact on my friends, my family, and now students that are entering our doors at Little Kitchen, it's just amazing. Your resume is fascinating to me because in one way it's extremely focused over the last number of years in terms of being involved with food and the food industry, and yet it's extremely diverse in the places that you've been and the roles that you've taken on. How did that evolve and perhaps walk those who haven't had the benefit that I've had to see what you've done over the last number of years, how you went from university into the position you find yourself in now? 
I think it was my parents pushing me to just explore. So during my time in high school, I was part of as many clubs as you can think of. Every volunteer opportunity that came up, I was happy to go to. And that's when I started realizing the things I enjoyed doing and helping others and being involved in so much. I remember after being accepted at UBC, I sat down one day to look at the list of probably over 300 clubs that UBC has. And I wrote down a list of every single one I wanted to be part of. It was probably a list of more than 20. And then I called my mom over and I was so excited to show her all the clubs I was going to be part of. And her answer was, that seems very fun, but you have to decide on the specific ones you want to be part of. You can't be part of everything. Obviously, I arrived to university and I don't think I joined any of them during my first year. There was other priorities at the moment, understanding what I wanted to do with university and making friends because I had just come to a new city without knowing anyone. And after I decided that I wanted to do food, nutrition and health, it was probably during halfway during my second year, I decided I wanted to get involved and I wanted to do something. But halfway through the year, you can't really join any clubs or you have to wait until the beginning of the year. So I started looking at other opportunities to be able to volunteer or take advantage of my knowledge in food and my passion for it. And I came across the opportunity to bring Spoon University to UBC. It was a long process, but I was able to start the UBC chapter of Spoon. A few friends tagged along. We made a group of marketers, of videographers, photographers, writers, and foodies just like I did. And I think uh, Spoon lasted around two and a half years at UBC. And we had a great impact on giving university students the opportunity to learn that there are better restaurants to eat at outside campus. And as a team, we would love going out on restaurant tours in Gastown to try different places to have breakfast or different places to have food. It was a great time being part of Spoon. And then after Spoon ended, just because we all realized that we wanted to take more time in our degrees, we decided to start getting involved with charities and organizations around Vancouver. And that's where I started joining these volunteer opportunities with children around schools. And I was with them until the pandemic hit during my last year of university. But it was during those times where I realized that I'm down the path I'm going and I like. I have this passion for food. I have a passion for students and teaching them about food and the importance of food. And that's where I realized that I'm doing what I love to do. When you've held so many different positions, you've been an instructor, as we've talked about. So you've done the actual cooking and the demonstrations and that instruction. You've been a recipe coordinator for Fresh Living. You have been with children. You've worked as a server. So you have seen so many different perspectives of the food industry. And I'm wondering how your view on nutrition has evolved as you've worked in the various sectors of the food industry. I think that my view on nutrition and understanding the importance of food only really started as I started taking these courses at university. I loved food and I knew that it was important for you before I started taking all the courses, but it was probably during my first nutrition introduction class and international nutrition class where we talked about the different cases around the world of people who do not have the opportunities that we do to have access to healthy and real food that I realized that it was such an impact on our bodies and how food could impact humans in so many different ways. So working in so many different industries, I was able to 
seafood in different forms, but it was probably not until the end of my university degree and during these volunteer positions with these students where I realized how we could impact or we could do something to impact the choice that people have on what they decide to eat. I'm also wondering why Vancouver, because as you mentioned, born in Colombia, you were raised in various countries in Asia. You were back in Colombia. You came to Vancouver knowing no one. And I don't know if it was sight unseen or not. So why did you choose here and why have you chosen to settle here? So when I was close to ending my high school, I knew I didn't want to stay in Columbia to do my university degree. Um, After having the opportunity to live in so many different countries, I knew that I wanted to keep on exploring. So Columbia was never an option to stay. So I started making a list. Australia was probably on the top of my list. Canada was second because I do have a Canadian passport. So coming here was easy and it was doable. And a friend of mine, a few years older from me in high school, was here at UBC. And one day he texted me while I was I was already a senior in, in high school. He texted me. He's like, I am at UBC. This is a great city, a great university. You're going to love it. You have to come up here. So I'd never heard of UBC before. I had never thought of coming to live to Vancouver. I did some research and I I fell in love with the university. I fell in love with the campus. I started talking to people who had come to, to Canada and Vancouver was always the top destination from everyone I had talked to. So I applied to, I think, a total of five universities in Canada and that was it. And I was accepted to all of them. But when it came to deciding, I decided on UBC just because of what my friend had told me. He was so happy and he knew that this is the place where I would be happy that I just I took the jump. When I arrived, I didn't know anyone. I kind of knew of of who is now one of my best friends because of a mutual friend, so we connected there, but I literally crossed the the globe to a new city with without knowing what to expect. That really speaks to your sense of adventure and how much a part of your personality that is. It does strike me that when you spoke about your family earlier, that you are very close to your family. So I'm wondering how difficult a decision it is to be so far away from them on a daily basis. Being far away is very hard. I'm very close to my parents and my siblings. But nowadays, technology helps in so many ways. I talk to my mom and my dad at least three times a day and FaceTime and send pictures to my siblings every now and then during the week. But I knew I wanted to explore and I knew I wanted to leave Colombia. So that decision of leaving was like, I already knew that I wanted to leave. So I knew that I would still be close with them just in different ways. It's hard being far away. It's hard to be far away from the celebrations and it's hard to hear what's going on back home and not being able to be part of it. But I'm so happy here and I've created my life up here. I met amazing friends. I've got a group of friends, which is family. I'm part of the LK family, which is a true family that I know my family will always be my family, even if they're far away. I do get to see them at least once or twice a year, which is nice. I go back home for Christmas for sure. And then sometime during the year as well. So I miss them, but I I get to see them and I get to share what I do and seeing them so happy after I tell them how happy I am, it's worth it. And from everything I can see and from everything that I've heard, you are an essential part 
of the Little Kitchen Academy family. How did you make your way into this family? Because as your resume suggests, you really are an explorer. How did you wind up at LKA? It's a funny story, Scott. Every time this question is asked, Brian and Felicity will start discussing about who brought me onto the team. And I always argue that I was the one that got myself here. So I had been following Little Kitchen Academy since it opened. I was still in university and I had various jobs and volunteer positions at the time. As I mentioned, I graduated during the pandemic. So there was clear to no jobs available to apply to. But after a year of not doing much and just sticking to my serving job, I started to get desperate and wanted to start doing something that I really loved and was passionate about. So I decided to message companies and message people at different companies to see what opportunities were out there. And I sent Brian a message through LinkedIn asking him for any possibility to be part of Little Kitchen Academy, even if it was a volunteer position. I just, I wanted to be out with kids and I wanted to be doing something along the lines of food and nutrition. I received a message from him a few days later and we hopped on a call that lasted over an hour and he told me to go into the environment and meet Felicity. So I walked in on a Tuesday and I sat at our community table with Felicity and with Help Me Katie and chatted for over an hour talking about my background and Felicity's background and the whole idea of Little Kitchen and As the conversation went going, all I thought was, I want to be part of this. I need to be part of this. This is amazing. This is where I see myself happy. And I walked out of Little Kitchen that day with an offer to join the team and to be an instructor at our Point Grey location and to help Felicity with the recipes. And a few weeks after I started, I went for lunch with Felicity and she had the offer to join the team as the recipe and curriculum coordinator. And here I am now. Yes, you are. And I'm wondering if you have any idea how many recipes you've come up with over the years. Over the years or with Little Kitchen? I suppose both because you've probably infused them into Little Kitchen in one way or another. So at Little Kitchen right now, we have 627 recipes in the database. Probably 400 and something of those are uh, recipes that Felicity or Katie had written up from before. I've been with Little Kitchen for only just over a year. So I would say that Probably over 300 of those are recipes that I've come up with, but I won't take credit for all the recipes. As I mentioned, the ideas come from the instructors, from my friends, from Felicity and Alini. I I just work the magic into the recipes to make them an LK recipe. But over the years, I don't have a number. Every time I'm in the kitchen, I'm just opening up the spice rack, putting things into the pan, mixing or mixing something, putting it in the oven and hoping it comes out and tastes good. Well, I love it because there's a lot of people that don't approach cooking that way and they aren't anywhere near as adventurous as you are. So they stick to what they know. You could help them. What are your thoughts on compiling all of those recipes, releasing a little Kitchen Academy cookbook? I don't know if this is a good question to put onto the podcast, Scott. It is. And I was (laughs) instructed to ask you, Natalia. I personally don't think that Little Kitchen Academy should have a cookbook. What our students go through during the three hours in our environment can't be put into words. It can't be taught at home. Our instructors work the magic and Felicity has done something amazing to create an environment where our students come in and after three hours they walk out an inch taller, as she says. Creating a cookbook 
It's like putting the recipes we have on our window for our parents to take into one, which sure, it can be done, but there is no magic. We can't put that magic into words. If a parent will sit down with their five-year-old to cook the risotto that the, the student made a week ago at the environment or that they're using off the cookbook, the student probably won't have the opportunity to walk into a pantry that is fully stocked to see different spices that we might have in our pantry that they might not have at home. They might not have the different type of sweeteners, agave, maple syrup, honey, monk fruit sweetener that we have at Little Kitchen at home. So a cookbook would not translate into what Little Kitchen Academy is. It's great to share the recipes that we share with our students, but it's not who we are. And really that magic you described goes beyond the three hours, doesn't it? Because the magic goes from the child back to the parent, into the family in many cases. And now there's that inspiration and that magic works outside. And we're going to go to the grocery store together and we're going to buy some of those ingredients we didn't have before because I'm going to show you, mom, I'm going to show you, dad, I'm going to show you, brother, that I can create this. Exactly. Or... I know that there is purple and white carrots, so why don't we go and buy purple carrots instead of the orange ones, which are usually the ones you see in the supermarket. Just a few weeks ago, we made a tomato trio orzo at Point Grey, and it was amazing to see on the stories because Alini, the director, bought a variety of her loom tomatoes, different colored tomatoes, different sized tomatoes, which is different to what probably everyone is used to seeing. You think of a red tomato, it's large and it's red. Or it's a cherry tomato, it's small and it's red. So seeing the stories of the students chopping up yellow tomatoes, chopping up these green tomatoes, these purple tomatoes that come in different sizes and shapes was just incredible. And that's part of the magic that you're talking about, Scott. If a parent were to make that tomato trio orzo at home, they probably would have bought the red cherry tomatoes from the supermarket. They wouldn't have incorporated the different color and shapes of tomatoes that we brought into the environment. This seems like a good time to ask the question that everybody who comes on this podcast gets asked because it's the question everybody at Little Kitchen Academy gets asked as well. What is the one ingredient that's in your kitchen, Natalia, and why? The one ingredient that's always in my kitchen is exploration. And I think it stems back to my childhood and having grown up and having the privilege to have explored as much as I did with food, uh, with different cultures and just around the world. And I think that bringing exploration into the kitchen and specifically into Little Kitchen Academy will empower our students to make those independent choices and just allow them to explore more, allow them to explore that there is different things than from the ones they see at home or at the supermarket, sparking that curiosity and having them start to ask questions because they started to explore. You seem so passionate about the experiences you've had with children. Do you ever miss instructing because of that, because you're not in the environment on a daily basis? Yes, I don't instruct as much as I used to. I'm in every now and then when they need someone to help or when I want to go in and I tell Alini that I want to be in. Can you please schedule me? But I'm in the nest at the office every day of the week. And as some of you know, the nest is only a block away from the Point Grey Little Kitchen Academy. And I cross the street over to that Point Grey environment probably once or twice a day. So I do miss instructing. I miss seeing the students and just being able to, to be with them for those three hours. But 
every opportunity I have to walk over and see what's going on, I do take. It's funny you say that because Felicity and Brian always say that when Felicity's not having a great day, Brian tells her, just go back to the environment because that's where you get your cup filled. It's almost as though you and Felicity are kindred spirits in that regard. Yes. If we allowed adults into our environment, I would uh, give that advice to everyone. Just go in or peer through the window and see the magic that's going on in there. Watching our students wash the dishes and have so much fun creating bubbles or learn to use a knife or watch them cut a cherry tomato and have seeds and juice explode everywhere and just watching their eyes open because they can't believe that the seeds and the juices exploded out of that cherry tomato onto their chef's coat and onto the table. It's amazing to just sit down and watch. And I think that we can learn so much from just watching our students. As an instructor, you think that you're the one that's teaching them and they're learning from from you. But I think that as an instructor or someone that's watching, you'll learn so much more from our students than what they can learn from us because they are amazing human beings and they're just incredible. It's very obvious how much you care about your job and how much you enjoy what you do for a living. So I'm wondering what does a good day at work look like for Natalia Ordonez? I think a good day at work is a day where the office is filled with as many team members as possible. There's something coming right out of the oven and we're just enjoying our time, listening to music, watching the videos of our students play on our TV right in front of the community table and enjoying whatever was just tested all together and getting that feedback from from the corporate team. That's probably a good day at work. Being with the family and enjoying a meal around the community table, even if we're each independently working on on our own tasks, but being together and enjoying food. I was wondering if you're going to mention Ikea. I've never seen someone who enjoys Ikea as much as you do. As soon as we moved into the environment, we started getting the furniture come in from Ikea and from other places. And during the first days when we didn't have a table to work at and there was just chairs and a random plastic table, first thing I told Felicity was, when are you building this? Because I want to help. I love building Ikea furniture. My house is only Ikea furniture, both here and back at home. My friends know that if they are taking a trip to Ikea, I must go. And whenever they buy a furniture from Ikea, I'm the one building it because I enjoy it more than anyone else does. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, whether it's constructing furniture, constructing a recipe, or instructing students, your energy just radiates and you give positivity to everybody around you. That includes this conversation. Natalia, thank you very much for this. Thank you very much, Scott. It was a pleasure to talk to you and a pleasure to be part of another part of Little Kitchen through this podcast. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 